0: Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
1: Food. 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 You do know that part, yes. And, uh, but that, that's not what I'm going for this this time. I like when we get to have guests back on the show, and we get to hear the, the follow-on stories that, that come from those guests. And our guest today is Jeff White, uh, and I'll, we're going to get into who he is in a minute. But we had him on before with another, another gentleman, uh, Jake Williams. We talked about storytelling. And uh, the relationship between cybersecurity and privacy, and the media, and that dance that goes on to tell a story. And of course, you, if it's a factual story, you want to have the facts. Um, but sometimes the media tends to stretch the facts to get people's attention and get the clicks, which we talked about last time. But a story is a story, and a good story often comes in the form of a book and, and Jeff has written a book, you know, the Lazarus heist. And we're going to talk about that. And there's a lot that builds up to this book. Um, so I, I don't know anything. So I'm going <laughs> to, hand it over to Jeff to, to kind of give us the lowdown, but Jeff, a few words first, um, who is Jeff? What's Jeff up to? So folks know who who's on the show today.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so yeah, I'm Jeff White. I'm an author and investigative journalist. Um, And I cover technology, mainly cybercrime. And as you say, I've done that for BBC News, for Channel 4 News, Sunday Times in the UK, uh, Audible. Uh, And I've just written a book in the past couple of months, published a book called The Lazarus Heist, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about. It's about how North Korea became a computer hacking superpower. And that grew out of a a BBC World Service podcast of the same name, which went out last year. Well, Series 1 went out of that podcast last year. Season 2 is coming out uh, later this year, later 2022. my co-host gene lee so we're looking forward to that one so that's roughly speaking who i am what i do
3: well very cool i'm excited about two the two sides of the story the the story that you tell and 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 how you tell that story which Mm. many times uh can make the difference between a a story that more people hear versus a great story that just sits Mm. somewhere in the, the right audience and also maybe you know, I'm interested in how you you, you adopt uh, the story, maybe when you share it on a podcast versus when you write it as a journalist mm-hmm. versus you know a book writer, because I, I know yeah. there's there's quite a difference there. Uh, wherever you want to start, I'm I'm happy. I'm right here. I, I got my coffee, so I'm good.
2: <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Well, this I mean, you know, to give the genesis of this, the story, the Lazarus heist about the North Korean hackers started out with the first book that I published, which is a book called Crime.com, which is kind of everything you ever wanted to know about cybercrime but were afraid to ask. It, you know, It covers the whole gamut, really, from the very earliest days of computer hacking in the sort of 1970s right up to what was then the present day. You know, Crime.com was published in 2018, so we just had the, the attack on the, the, the US presidential election in 2016 and all the results and, and, and fallout from that. And one of the chapters of Crime.com was about North Korea and how North Korea ended up becoming this computer hacking superpower which is kind of weird. I mean, North Korea, you know, most people know is not exactly technologically advanced. Most of its 26 million inhabitants don't have access to the internet. So how, how does that end up being, that country end up being such a significant uh, computer hacking uh, force? So that chapter then grew into uh, this podcast, The Lazarus Heist, uh, so-called because North Korea's government hackers, for those who don't know, are called The Lazarus Group, so-called because just like the Christian Saint Lazarus, you think you've killed them off and they just keep coming back from the dead at you. Uh, And the Lazarus heist was based on the heist that the Lazarus group of hackers perpetrated on the Bank of Bangladesh, the National Bank of Bangladesh, where they tried to steal a billion dollars. What's amazing about that story and the reason it works so well for podcast and then, I guess, for a book is that it's almost like a bunch of computer hackers have watched a sort of Hollywood heist movie. They've watched Ocean's Eleven or something like that and thought to themselves, hey, we could do that. We could do that with computers. Um, It maps out almost scene for scene like a heist movie, you know, there are certain tropes in heist movies uh, uh, that that make the movie and those scenes almost in the film are replicated in the computer hackers uh, operations against Bangladesh Bank Um, So that led to the podcast series uh, and then obviously podcast series led to the book which takes the story onwards from the podcast podcast series one stopped in 2017 with the WannaCry cyber attack, a ransomware attack from 2017, which was attributed to North Korea, one of the Lazarus Group's jobs, according to the US government. So, so what I did with the book was simply stop, you know, took took from 2017 onwards and just explained all the other stuff that the North Korean hackers ended up doing, which gets even more bizarre and even more weird. So, it's a fun set of stories to put together.
1: And so, in in the podcast, do, do you break down or you, you talk about each event or activity or? How does yeah. that unfold?
2: Yeah, that's right. So with the podcast, I mean, the bulk of it was going to be about this, this, this hack on Bangladesh Bank in which the hackers tried to steal a billion dollars. And we had this idea when we were putting the podcast together that we were going to we were looking at Netflix and we were thinking, OK, if this was a Netflix drama, what would be the opening scene? And of course, the opening scene would be, you know, the heist on the bank, the, you know, the robbers breaking in. And we worked at that for weeks trying to make that work as the opening of the podcast because uh, we were going to then flashback. You know, So you have the heist and then you flash back to how the heist was put together, which is kind of how they do it in heist dramas. Um, just didn't work, we, we just couldn't make it work. And then we started looking at something we were going to talk about, but later on in the series, which was the hack on Sony Pictures Entertainment, which of course took place in 2014, a couple of years before Bangladesh Bank gets uh, gets hacked. And as soon as we started making the Sony story, it just, it worked. Um, as, a, as a starting point for the drama, Sony is a company a lot of people have heard of, people involved in Sony and involved in the film that that sparked the hacking were very very good talkers so the backstory with the Sony hack was that Sony made a film called The Interview which was all about uh, Kim Jong-un the leader of North Korea and an assassination attempt in fact a successful assassination attempt in the drama on Kim Jong-un this obviously did not go down well at all in, in North Korea they hated this film and so the accusation is that the North Korean hackers broke into Sony and demolished the company from the inside. And so as a way of starting the podcast off, that Sony story was just fun wouldn't be the word I'd choose. Certainly wasn't fun for the people at Sony who got hacked, but but it was a compelling, interesting, easy start. And that was the first couple of episodes. Then we moved on to talk about the Bangladesh Bank job. So by that stage, you sort of established that there's this group of hackers from North Korea that they break into places like Sony, and the stage is sort of then set to talk about Bangladesh Bank and the break in there, and the incredible money laundering exercise they did once they'd hacked into the bank, and then the tail end, the last episode of the podcast was going to be about WannaCry, the the, the ransomware attack, and the crazy story about WannaCry. And well, a lot of stuff
3: at, in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yep. I was looking at uh, uh, the Miter Group has uh, has. Yeah, a page dedicated, well, I'm sure many groups, but a page dedicated to the Lazarus group of all the all the techniques they use to do their deeds and the, uh, the A-list. I don't, I'm pretty sure it's a fairly complete list of all the things they've been involved with in, with respect to WannaCry and,
2: yeah.
1: and uh, all the other uh, attacks they've conducted. And it's just amazing the amount of stuff that they've done. Mm.
2: Uh, and yeah in- incredibly pl- prolific group um yeah. and it's worth it's worth noting just we should clear something up i mean i use the lazarus group as a sort of journalistic shorthand a convenient journalistic shorthand there are other people um notably FireEye, who who, who are far more um detailed about how they describe the different hacking groups within the north korean government so there are apparently groups within north korean government that are just focused on on, on getting cash through the door. So this was the, the people who broke into Bangladesh Bank, for example. There were apparently other groups who are focused on stealing intelligence from rival governments. There are some aspects who are focused on breaking into opponents' military infrastructure. So we should sort of clear up. When we talk about the Lazarus group, I'm talking about them in the whole. There are all these different subsets and subgroups within the North Korean military hacking system. And so when you took the MITRE MITRE, um, reports on them, they'll be covering the full gamut of that. And it does cover a really, really big range of of things. But the really interesting thing about North Korea, and the reason it's fascinating to look at from a cybersecurity point of view, is, you know, the UK, the US, we have government hackers, you know, they break into places, uh, you know, with, with government permission, but they break into places. What's interesting about North Korea is, because this country has been subject to international sanctions, which were placed on North Korea because of its missile tests, its nuclear tests. North Korea's run out of cash. It's been running out of cash for a while. It's, it's, it's really, really broke. And so the accusation is it's hackers are now trying to steal money as well as other state secrets. And that stealing of money gets them into cybercrime and into cybercrime crime and, and just normal criminal networks. Because once you've done the hacking and you've stolen the money, you need people to help you launder it. And that's led North Korea's government hackers into some really interesting alliances with with street level crime, with just organized crime elements. It's fascinating.
3: Well, it is really fascinating, and one of the first things that come in my mind is you know how how strict you are to the fact as a journalist, an investigative <laughs> journalist, and mm. how much of creative freedom, let's say, uh, license to <laughs> to to decorate the story, um, yeah. and and maybe as, as you do so. Um, give us the yeah. kind of like the, the core of the story that is based on and, and where did you yeah. go from there? How did you branch out?
2: It's it's a very good question. I mean one of the things about writing a book which is quite interesting is that um, because it's all written down in black and white it's very easy for people to pick over it and pick holes in it and so on. So one of the things I did when I finished the manuscript for the book, which is about 100,000 words, about 95,000 words I think, the Lazarus Heist book, is I, I printed the entire thing out and apologies to, to the environmental cost of that, printed the entire manuscript out and went through with a pencil every single line. And I read the line and you know read what I'd said and thought, okay, what's the source for that? Can I go back and find a source for that line, for that piece of information in that line of text? Um, obviously a lot of this appears in footnotes. If you read the book, there are hundreds of footnotes. And so I have to have a source for every single thing I'm saying. Could be an interview with somebody, could be a document, Could be something I found online. But I've got to if somebody comes back to me and says, Jeff, how do you know that? I've got to have the thing at my disposal. I can put it front of them and say, here you go. Now, in some instances, for example, it's it's the U.S. government accusing North Korea of things. And North Korea, just to point this out, say they've had no involvement in any of these hacks. And it's all been a smear campaign by the U.S. government. But nonetheless, the yeah, yeah, exactly. You would, wouldn't you? But the US government has put out a document and, and put out these accusations in a document. So for me, I've, I've got a reference, I've got the document, I've got the page number, and in the text, I'll say, you know, the US government accuses North Korea of X, and I'll give the reference with the page number and the reference of that particular accusation. So in that way, I am, you know, we talk about am I beholden to the facts? Absolutely, yes. I, I can't put anything out that I can't source. There are moments where you do try to let your creative juices go a little bit, So one of the things we tried to talk about was to personalize and and, and personify these hackers. You know, we have, again, thanks to the US government, some information, some biographical information about some of these North Korean government hackers. And my co-host Jean Lee in the podcast does a a great job of just filling in the background about how North Korea works, how these young lads, they are usually young lads, get groomed through the military and go go on these overseas hacking expeditions. Um, And so you you try and flesh them out as characters. And you do have to sometimes use a bit of creative license to do that, you know, to flesh these people out a little bit. Um, But but I'm very cage about doing that. I'll only do that if I think I can really, really justify what I'm saying. And uh I don't write uh
1: creative novels like this even even if they are based in in reality. Um, but I do write a lot of content or have written a lot of content, and sometimes mm. it's the story that comes from multiple stories where mm. and it's that create that creative part where you can say kind of to your point of, well, who is this behind this that that substory of who that person is or what mm. their profile mm. is. Helps the rest of the story. So, how are there are there things in the book to where you said, "Oh my gosh, this connection really brings something to bear that without mm. it, I would wouldn't have uh, have quite that story to share."
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I find quite interesting is 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 a skill that I didn't think I had or hadn't sort of fully clocked that I had, which is um, legal documents. If you read through court cases and legal documents. It's all in there. The story's all in there. It's just they're not written by people who have any storytelling ability whatsoever. They're written by lawyers (laughs) who have to be very, very strict about the fact. So sometimes you have to read through the documents two or three times to A, work out what the hell they're saying and B, suddenly realize, oh, here's the story here. So, for example, um, the North Koreans end up working with um, uh, an Instagram influencer in Dubai who goes by the name Hush Puppy who by day is posing on Instagram in his Versace pyjamas and talking about how blessed he is to have all this money, but by night is doing computer hacking and money laundering, partly with the North Koreans, to make the money to buy himself the luxury goods. It's an incredible story. But one thing that bugged me as I was writing the book, and this is, again, one of the things, as you write the book, you be very rigorous about connecting everything together. And writing a book really exposes the gaps in your knowledge. Because one thing I thought was, well, how did the because Hush Puppy got arrested. And I was thinking, well, how, how did they find this character Hush Puppy and how did they expose his whole connection with North Korea? And so I started digging into that and digging and digging and digging. And it turned out it was a completely random connection. Police in the US were looking into some little identity theft gang who were perpetrating these identity theft scams. And they just happened to luck out on a connection between that gang and Hush Puppy and his accomplices and 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 the story of how they sort of did that is really fascinating there was a, a a woman in the US who was tricked by an old school friend into giving over some information about some bank customers and then the gang that she gave those bank customers details to went on these identity theft raids and the US Uh, police force ended up finding this gang who were doing the identity theft stuff and that led them to Hush Puppy. So suddenly this this random woman in a bank somewhere who ends up being tricked by her old school friend leads you all the way to this Instagram influencer in Dubai who turns out to be the linchpin for the whole thing. It took me at least two or three attempts of reading the legal documents to piece all that together. Um, And nobody else has, nobody else got that story. Nobody else bothered. Oh, and the whole reason I ended up doing that was as I say, I was, I was looking at this Hush Puppy character thinking, well, how did, the, how did he come into the picture? How did, the, how did they end up arresting him? In the indictment, in the criminal complaint against him that the US government put out, on the press release, there's a couple of people mentioned at the bottom. So Hush Puppy is arrested and sentenced. And at the bottom, they just throw in these other people, a woman called Janala Aziz. So just throw in that name. So I phoned up the US government press office and said, who's Janala Aziz? What's she got to do with it? And they said, well, we don't know. I, I'm just the press officer. I don't know who she is. So I started looking for her name and looking for those names. And then I found the legal action, the criminal conviction against her, the criminal case against her. And suddenly it all started to unpick. So just a random name on the end of a press release suddenly throws this entire different light on the whole thing. I love that. I love that. finding those sort of corner turns and those, those, those bizarre things. Yeah, Super, super cool.
3: And, you know, I was reading through your your bio and you you did another podcast series, if I'm well understood, about the dark web for Mm -hmm. for BBC. And as you are talking about this investigation process, process, I'm thinking, what better place than the dark web to find Mm -hmm. these random stories, connections? I mean, you're literally exploring. It's almost like, you know, Dante's inferno you know walking <laughs> in there and fun how can you not have stories walking in yeah. there given that yours are actually real and Dante yeah. yeah. made them up so yeah tell me about maybe the, the connection of I mean how everything is interconnected in in, in what yeah. you do and how it's hard must be to keep it separated when you're
2: writing yeah. one
3: story or another
2: it's true, yeah, yeah. And I mean that. So the series, the Dark Web, um, was was for, for for Audible a few years ago. Um, basically, it was how, how does the Dark Web come about? And again, there's another bizarre story about how the Dark Web is invented by the U.S. government of all people. Uh, the U.S. naval You can tell
3: us that if you want.
2: Yeah, yeah. So U.S. government, um, as the internet sort of starts to come out in the in the in, you know, starts to gain traction in the 90s, the U.S. government realizes that the internet's a great tool for. Sp- For getting information and and and, you know, but basically doing intelligence work, Um, but the internet has a big problem for for spies, which is that as you move across the internet, you obviously your traffic is hopping from computer to computer um, on the internet, and each of those nodes um, through which your traffic hops can potentially surveil your traffic. So imagine you work for the CIA and you want to access a jihadi website, well. A, all the hops that your traffic goes through can see. This is the CIA trying to access Jihadis R Us or whatever the website's called. And, and even worse, the Jihadis R Us website can see that it's the CIA trying to get access to the website. And that's no good. If you're the CIA, you want to you stay undercover. So they invented the dark web. And what the dark web does is it wraps your traffic in layers of encryption so that as your traffic moves around the internet, the intermediaries who are passing your traffic along to the eventual destination can't see who you are and where you came from. And perhaps more importantly, the destination website you're visiting can't see who you are, where you came from. Brilliant piece of technology. Problem is, as soon as you start using that dark web technology, you stand out like a sore thumb. You know, multiply encrypted traffic on the internet stands out. So then the U.S. government's got a bit of a problem. They've, they've got this fantastic tool, but as soon as they use it, everybody's going to go, oh, hang on, that's the U.S. government using it. So they spread it around. They, they, they gave it to a, a group called the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who some of your listeners may know, a Civil Liberties Campaign Group, um, originally founded by a guy called John Perry Barlow, who was the lyricist for the Grateful Dead, the sort of arch-psychedelic rockers. So John Perry Barlow sets up the EFF. The US government is thinking okay we need to spread this technology around because if more people are using it we can hide in amongst the traffic, we can hide in amongst the crowd and it won't be so obvious that it's just spies using it. So they gave it away to the Electronic Frontier Foundation because of course for civil liberties people a sort of encrypted way of navigating the internet is great for subverting censorship. So for them as an anti-censorship group it worked really well for the US government, there's a sort of spy tool that worked really well. And, you know, the, the two of them sort of met together and sort of shared, shared the tool. And so that's how the dark web technology kind of comes into, in, into, into being. Obviously, the irony of this is the US government, having invented it, is also now having to spend loads of money fighting the crime wave that's been unleashed by the dark web. Um, so, but just to bring this back to the sort of Lazarus heist and the North Koreans. Surprise, the North Koreans are hanging out on the dark web learning how to hack because one of the places you go to learn how to hack is the dark web. And so just to bring this back to Hush Puppy, uh, one of the ways we think the North Koreans ended up working with Hush Puppy was because they were looking for accomplices on the dark web to help them launder their hacked and stolen money. And we think the North Koreans found Hush Puppy and his accomplices on the dark web offering money laundering services. So again, the sort of dark web technology and this, this idea of the dark web as being the zone where these criminals all get together comes back in the Lazarus heist because it's, you know, the dark web is where a North Korean government hacker can get together with a money launderer in Canada or the Dubai or wherever they are and start working together. Absolutely fascinating.
1: It is fascinating. And it, it, it I go back to the point where you said, how, how does North Korea, that isn't necessarily advanced technologically, how do they how do they have such an army? Mm, <laughs> right? yeah. And yeah. so it sounds like they're, they're certainly using others and services yeah. provided by others and tools and mm. techniques provided by others to, to do this. Um, is that, do you also find that gives them some separation from the actual activities as well? Give them, give them some, some protection that way. Yeah. yeah or or, or so- does it matter? They Don't
2: care, I yeah, just to a certain
1: listen. extent, yeah, yeah.
2: Then... yes, it does. I mean, I think one of the things I've realized, and it's taken me a long while to realize this, is that computer hackers aren't necessarily good at all of the other stuff to do with financial crime. So, if you're a computer hacker, you, you might know how to access somebody's system, you might know the vulnerabilities in the software, you might know need, know the exploits to, 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 to get into somebody's computer networks, but once you've stolen the money do you necessarily know everything about how banking software works and how credit cards work and how cash points work and how you launder money possibly not there's a bunch of hackers that don't know that stuff so they rely on criminals organized criminals to launder all of that money Uh, spoiler alert the next book that i'm working on is all is all about this it's how technology and money laundering come together how hackers and money launderers work together because they're not necessarily the same same groups so for the north koreans just to use them as an example They don't know how to launder money. They don't know necessarily how to wash it through bank accounts, but the dark web gives them that ability uh, to do that. And in terms of your point about, does this give them some level of protection? It it does because um, just to go back to our story of our chap Hush Puppy, he's now uh, been convicted. We're waiting to hear his sentence. His accomplice has also been arrested, sentenced to 11 years in prison. There's multiple stories of multiple people around the world who've been convicted for working with North Korean hackers. The North Korean hackers themselves have never been convicted and deny all the charges. And of course, they're in North Korea, in, likely in Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. So they're never gonna face justice, at least very, very unlikely to face justice. So what they're able to do is, 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 is carry out their sort of cyber operations from safe territory inside North Korea, but reach out through the internet to find these global accomplices. And when the shit hits the fan, it's the global accomplices who end up getting nicked and put in prison. The North Koreans, uh, certainly as it stands at the moment, uh, have got away scot-free.
3: Uh, it, it, I, I cannot think about, you know, a mafia organization because, you know, it's organized crime. <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, you know, the, who's the one that get cut is the, the, the pawn, right? Uh, yeah, the little little guys, guys yeah. Usually they, they are well protected and eventually you get to that for our audience on this channel um maybe you know it, it obviously it does mix a little bit so many people will know about cyber crime and dark web and all yeah. of that but I would I would say some other and I'm assuming I'm trying to make a reference to your podcast is Sean and I sometimes like where do we draw the line between digging really deep into how cybercrime, cyber security work how do you how much mm. you go technical in this and how yeah. much you you make it accessible. Because yeah. I remember in our last podcast, we we're talking about this dance about, you know, the 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 cybercrime, the marketing, the news, and and how you change things. How do you balance that in your yeah. podcast? And yeah. do you think that by doing this and making it a little bit more entertaining, still sticking to reality? did you create more interest in the everyday person that maybe didn't know care about either cybercrime or hacking on the yeah. dark web and all of a sudden yeah. like, Hey, I'd, i love to learn more about this stuff.
2: Yeah. I think, I mean, to address your second point first, I, 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 what I'm really, really proud of is the fact that the Lazarus Heist podcast was a number one hit in the UK and it got to number seven in the U S podcast charts. Uh, you know, and let's face it, Joe Rogan's podcast is number one. I mean, this we made a podcast that's uh, an investigative journalism documentary about North Korea and cybercrime, and it got into yeah. the top ten. That, for me, right. says that people, they want to know about this stuff. Yes. Um, however, they want to know about it as long as you can tell, tell it to them in the right way. Um, and to go to your first point about how technical do you go, you've got to make a decision. The The absolute arbiter for me is the audience comes first. And and to go back to my point about calling this group the Lazarus group, as opposed to using all of the other different names of all the subgroups, I've got the audience in mind. I don't think it's helpful for the audience to to, to go through with them, all of the different subgroups underneath Lazarus and what they all do. I will call it Lazarus group and that's good enough for the audience. And I know techies will come back at me and say, Hey, you know, you're just grouping them all together. It's more complicated than that. Well, you're not my audience in fairness. It's the general public. I've got to make it accessible to them. When you come across something that's a bit technical and quite difficult, which we are doing quite a lot in season two, by the way, of the podcast, you've got to make a decision. If you decide this is important and the public needs to know about it and it's complicated, you just have to, you know, put both get both feet in and just explain it to them really clearly, really carefully, really slowly, and and they will get it in the end. I'm tired of techies telling people, oh, it's too complicated, you can't understand. You know, that's a failure of communication there. It, there are certain things where it's like, no, that's just too complicated. We're not going to be able to do that. But at a certain stage, you have to say, look, the audience need to know this. They need to understand this very quite complicated piece of technology or piece of architecture to get what happens, to understand the story. We're going to take time. We're going to hold their hand. We're going to go through it with them, and we're really going to make sure they understand it. And I think listeners really benefit from that. And by the way, podcasting is a superb format for doing that because it's a very personal connection. It's it's a sort of one-to-one connection you're trying to create. So you can say in the script, which traditionally you've not been able to say in documentaries on the radio, you can say, this is complicated. Don't worry, I'll talk you through it. And as you're going along, you can say, right, just to recap, what we're talking about here is this. You can use analogies and you can just you can communicate in a podcast in a way that's a lot more human and a lot more friendly I think, than you can in traditional radio, which which I did quite a lot of. So. Yeah.
1: So with, with that in mind, I mean, this is Audio Signals where we talk about all kinds of stuff from from gaming to music to uh, AI-created arts. You name it, this channel ca- catches it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we can go off on weird tangents. So our audience is pretty general. They're they not rooted in, in cybersecurity. So what... What's the impact to
2: them from hmm. this story? Hmm. The, the, the impact, look, there's a, there's a macro impact. There's a geopolitical impact to this. We talked about North Korea being accused of stealing uh, money. The amounts we're talking about are in the billions. That's a very, very conservative estimate. The amount North Korea is estimated to have made from stealing cryptocurrency is 2 billion. And that is a vast, vast underestimate. According to the United Nations, that money gets spent on buying uh, uh, and equipping nuclear weapons and missiles for testing by North Korea. North Korea is a nuclear armed power. And given how how unpredictable North Korea is, that's got to worry everybody. If you're in South Korea and Japan, it's particularly worrying, but, but North Korea is a constant thorn in the side of international peace. If North Korea did not have nukes, if North Korea did not have the regime it had, has at the moment, the world would just be a safer place for lots and lots of people. It's not unfeasible Kim Jong-un may decide to do something reckless. Um, so, so, so on a macro level, it should worry all of us. Um, And people think, oh, it's a faraway country, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, Ukraine felt like a faraway country, didn't it, until quite recently. Suddenly that's having a lot of effects on a lot of things. So paying attention to the macro picture is important. On a micro level, I think the North Korean example is really interesting because it points out that we're still so vulnerable to the basic hacking techniques. North Korea's computer hackers, they're very gifted, they're very skilled, but their way in time and time again has been the phishing email, the phishing message. Bangladesh Bank, I've talked about. Sony Pictures Entertainment, I've talked about. Cosmos Bank, uh, hacking that we cover in season two, I'll, I'll talk about. The, the cryptocurrency companies that are getting hacked. The way in is so often the phishing message. And so if you listen to take away any cybersecurity message from this, it's just that your your inbox, whether it be on LinkedIn, whether it be your email inbox, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, it's not your friend. It's, it's, it's a front door to a very busy street, and anyone can stick anything through the letterbox. So that's really the sort of the takeaway. And also, when you realize what can happen if you do click on that link and you do get infected, you know, the amount of damage that can be done by groups like the Lazarus Group, it, hopefully it makes people sit up and think a little bit.
3: There are a lot of metaphors that you can use for for this, but one of my favourite is you, know, you, put, you put a lot of locks on your door, but then somebody just convinced you to unlock it for you. Yes you know it's mm-hmm. and so we go back to the human the human yeah. level of uh, yeah, you know voice. social engineering and and all of that uh, mm-hmm. what what is the vision that you had as you do this research you, you talk about this thing about where are we going next and this mm-hmm. may apply to the korean group or may the any hacking group any you know iran they have their own yeah. and and all of that i like, but yeah. What can be done? Because, as you say, you know, mm. it's such a small, small little something. There, state, but they have money. They have. Mm. They are using it in probably not a good way, not for their population or, you know, in in general. Mm. And and this and everybody else just can't really stop this, mm. can mm. they? Can we? Where well, we go from here?
2: Well, well, this is the thing. I mean, it. it, it... It's, it's tempting at the end of this to have a fairly bleak assessment of, of the future and how things go. You know, as, as I've said, the North Korean hackers are still at large, still at liberty, despite the accusations against them. And um, just this year, we've seen uh, an, an attack attributed to North Korea, um, which was a, a hack on a game, a, a video game called the Axie Infinity, or at least the, the technology behind it, the architecture behind it. They stole $625 million. That is the largest single hack on a single victim at a single time ever in history. There's other other hacks. hacker groups have made more money over a period, you know, but in terms of one hit, one victim, one amount stolen, it's the biggest heist ever perpetrated. I'm still waiting to be corrected on that, by the way. If anybody knows of one that's bigger, <laughs> do let me know on Twitter. But, um, you know, you're talking about the largest hack ever, and that was North Korea this year. That's the attribution. So it's, it's tempting to kind of think, well, nothing can be done to stop them. But look... Um, Governments, including the U.S. government, are making strides against this. The Biden administration has, I think, partly through some of the attacks on the U.S. government and U.S. infrastructure. Um, it's trying to get on the front foot with this. Um, you, do also have, um, you do also have criminal accusations against these people, which don't sound like much you know, good when, when you don't get those people into court and convict them. But the, the, the accusations and the criminal complaints that have been put out against North Korea, contain all of the tips and tricks and tools that North Korea were using. Well, those tools are now burned. North Korea can't use those tools again. They can't use those email addresses again. They can't use those Facebook accounts again because they've been found out. So it is possible to chip away at the ability of these groups. You can't necessarily arrest them and take them down completely, but you can chip away at them. And the other thing is, I'd love to tell you there's some great government intervention that can sort all this out or that your company's IT department can save you from all of this. You can't, you know... There's that great quote from Spider-Man, you know, with great power goes great responsibility. We have amazing power uh, thanks to IT in our world. You know, you can dial up your relatives on Zoom, you can chat to them, access your banking at two o'clock in the morning and make transfers. None of this was possible when I was a kid. That's great power, but with that great power comes great responsibility. You, you know, those those same IT systems, the email inboxes, the social media, give hackers a way to hack into us. So the responsibility we now have As the flip side to our wonderful new powers is 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 to start being a little bit of our own policeman and start being a little a little bit of our own um it security bosses we unfortunately have to police our own inboxes we can't rely on other people to do it
1: yeah well well said jeff well said and um i mean i could sit here and listen to you tell bits of stories all day long (laughs) (laughs) it's been been a real you can
3: you just listen to his podcast
2: exactly
1: Yeah. so we have we have the pod we're gonna we're gonna include a bunch of links in this episode show notes, Thank you. Uh, uh your podcast your books uh crime.com and, and lazarus heist and uh and obviously your profiles so hopefully somebody will come back and challenge you on that on that uh, top figure
2: still waiting still waiting i, I would in a way i'd like to be challenged on it but I, the, the longer i say it the less less people challenge me on it the more i'm believing it might be it's certainly look it's certainly one of the biggest i can certainly say that there you <laughs> go there you
1: go well listen uh it was great having you on the show and uh always a pleasure to chat with you jeff and congratulations on, on all the good work you're doing and, and the new book and, and the next one coming Thank you. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. You're welcome back to uh, talk about that one Let's, uh, once you're ready. We'll do. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Very good. So, thanks everybody for listening to this audio signals here on ITSP Magazine. Stay tuned for more conversations about anything and everything under the sun, including hacking groups in uh,
0: North Korea. Thanks for <laughs> joining us. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think,